Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 126 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at electric vans. Uh, This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we started, I wanted to remind you to check through the back catalogue of episodes if there's something specific that you want to know about. Cables, charging costs, specific EV models, charging hubs, CPOs, charge point operators, batteries, etc. There's probably something there for you to listen to. Our main topic of discussion today is electric vans. We've said numerous times on the podcast that last mile delivery is one of the things that will be key to decarbonise as quickly as possible. In the three years since I've been uh, doing this podcast, the state of play with electric vans and last mile deliveries has come on in leaps and bounds. In fact, the market is almost awash with vans of various shapes and sizes all running on electricity. From the van version of the Renault Zoe, right up to some rather large electrified Scania vans and trucks, the choice is quite overwhelming now. We've seen these vans being used all over the place, with companies such as Cleveland EV using an ENV200 to perform mobile EV servicing, local councils replacing their fleets with electric vans, right up to delivery companies that have gone fully electric in their efforts to reduce costs and cut emissions. And my guest today is just such a person. His name is Simon Brace, and he runs the Lakes Electric Delivery Service, which, as the name suggests, runs electrified deliveries based out of the Lake District in the north of England. Welcome to the show, Simon. Good morning. Thanks for joining us today. The first question I ask all my guests, and not all of this actually makes it onto the podcast, but what's your EV story? What got you into electric vehicles? EV story? It it started, um, it it was my wife's fault. I always blame my wife. Um, She was, um, or or, or still is, working for a company, and they were moving offices um, to the extent that they were actually having a purpose-built um, building made um, and this purpose built building was being done as ecologically um, as possible and so they were putting charge points in um, and bearing in mind this is 2014 stroke 2015 so well ahead of the curve mm-hmm. um, at the same time we were thinking of um, moving house and we were going to be moving even closer to her works so uh, I said to her well you know um any car that you have it's it's going to get ruined because during the winter it's just not going to get warm enough by the time you have to turn it off again and the exhaust will rot out and the oil will emulsify and all this so we we looked at what was about alternatively and we come across the Renault Zoe and so we went and had a look they had an open day and uh, it all started from there actually it all started from the wife getting a Renault Zoe um, and being able to charge it at work I want to come back to the actual vehicles that you use in, in a minute but Let's just say a little bit of background about uh, Lakes Electric van delivery. So, well, about you in the delivery business. How long have you actually been in that business? On and off for uh, 21 years, 22 years, 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, I went self-employed and I used to do the bag collections and donation collections and interbranch transfers for the British Heart Foundation down in the south, mm-hmm. um, southeastern London. Um, and then I went into the world of antiques and restoration stuff and dealers um, buying stuff out of auctions um, and haven't really stopped. OK, well, give me some stats about the business then so the listeners have context. Turnover, number of drops made per week, per month, per year, number of employees, etc. Right. Um, well, it's only ever been just me, owner, mm-hmm. driver. Um 
I've sort of downsized, sounds a bit weird, but I've downsized over the years. Um, I started off with a large sort of transit sized one. It actually was um, a Fiat Ducato. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the brand new version that came out in 1999. So I've, I've always sort of had new models and cutting edge stuff um, as far as my vans have gone. But previously to, to these electric vans, I, I've normally kept run them into the ground um, and, and, and bought uh, uh, another one. I've got another one. Um, so being as ecological as I could be purely on a, on a cost basis. But just little old me, owner driver. Um, and as I say, started off with a large van and then went up to a big Luton bodied van. And then I've come back down to um, a Peugeot partner van. But as far as um, in, in its heyday, when I had the big Luton, when I had the big Luton box vans, um, I used to leave home on a, a, on a Monday and come back on a Thursday night. Used to what they call tramp around the country, sleeping in the van, sleeping at friends and families. Mm-hmm. probably do six to eight deliveries a day pick well six to eight collections and deliveries a day um and i was doing about seventy-two thousand miles a year um since i've gone electric i probably do three or four deliveries a day and probably do 36 to forty thousand miles a year now i want to talk about the actual vehicles in a in a few minutes we'll sort of loop back to that but I have a colleague of mine who runs a taxi company. Uh, he's just recently purchased one of the uh, MG5 long-range estates. And he says with the fuel savings alone, he is saving enough enough money to be able to replace that MG5 in three years. Now, that's a pretty compelling argument. So how did the economics of uh, electric work out for you? And did you know about that before you started? Or was it a bit of a leap of faith? Uh, no, I, once I'd looked, once I'd seen what the wife was doing with her Zoe, um, and once I looked into the figures of an electric van and the mileage I was doing, then, then yeah, the the, the economics were were really, um, I hate the phrase, but it was a real no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can completely relate to your taxi driving friend, the the EMV two hundred that I've just um, high exchanged for the for the new Maxus, um, was about seven hundred quid off of being a free van over the three and a half to four years I owned it. Um, so I would imagine myself and your taxi friend are doing about the same sort of mileage. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was if, if I'd have kept it for another three, four months, then, then that would have been a, in fuel savings alone, um, regardless of servicing. But in, in fuel savings alone, I think that, that was just short of being a free van over that period of time. So what happens when, as recently happened, our good friends at Instavolt increased their prices by, I think it was the best part of 25% overnight, or, you know, even higher for some companies. Now, obviously, that has an impact on your profit. Is it enough to make you question your decision? Uh, no, because it's e- even um, even at sort of 48 to 50 pence um, a kilowatt hour, it's still a third cheaper running than diesel um and 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 that's you may find people that 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 come up with figures that don't agree with that but i'm talking um years of figures and years of experience and i know that a 40 to 45 miles per gallon van doesn't it's more 35 Mm -hmm. 32 if you're loaded you know so you have to take real figures into account um so yeah it's about even at those prices it's still about a third cheaper than diesel but then obviously you start the day um, having fully charged overnight at five pence, 
So you've got that buffer um, of five pence worth of electric to, to, to then offset the increases. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, I um, on most jobs, I'm absorbing it at the moment. Obviously, it does have an impact on profits. Um, but there are some jobs where, yeah, I've, I've, I've looked at where I'll be charging and, and how far I'm going. And, you know, I've had to load the job accordingly, but it's not affecting it that much. I think um, I haven't done the figures myself, but I, I think it was this morning or last night I read uh, I read a tweet where somebody said that it would have to be 80 pence um, a kilowatt hour before they really had to start moving the price onto the customers. Oh, no, that's interesting. Because I've done sort of calculations around the um, older price of fuel. You know, when it was about pound thirty-five, pound forty, I think fifty pence a kilowatt hour worked out more or less parity. But of course, we're in that situation now where electricity is increasing in price, but so is the underlying um, oil that's providing it. Therefore, petrol's increasing. So there, there is still that gap between what you would pay if you were um, paying for fuel versus what you're paying for mm. electricity to get the same distance. So as long as that para- that differential appears, we, you're still going to be quids in when it comes to electricity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can see people people that are running the um, vehicles privately, um, although I would imagine they would be doing 90% of their charging at home, but people that are using, they're doing distance and having to use public charging um, more often than not, I can see how these price rises are having an effect and making them think about their choice. But at the end of the day, it's not just about the money. It's about the air quality. It's about doing the right thing. And, um, you know, I'll confess that when I went electric, um, it was it was the cost side of things mm. at that time that interested me. Um, and the, the environmental aspect of it was really just a bonus. Um, it's now completely, it's completely flipped. Um, and, and now I do it. Um, once you get into it and you read the figures of urban pollution, um, it can be frightening. And and so now I do it because it's the right thing to do. Um, driving, I mean, I drive, I, I do the mileage between the towns and the cities, but obviously I spend a lot of time in the towns and the cities delivering to to private addresses. So I'm I'm the guy that's driving past your school um, and driving past your your old people's homes and playing fields and all the rest of it. So yeah, that that that's the reason I do it now. But initially, it was it was the financial aspect that I thought, why why am I driving a horrible, nasty, rattly diesel when I could be driving a smooth electric and it'd be costing me less? Well, as somebody who's recently spent eighteen months as a uh, delivery driver for a well-known grocery uh, company and driving around in um, the Mercedes Sprinter vans or diesel, I can fully align with uh, with what you're saying there and. You know, the sooner they start that sort of last mile delivery and move it to electric, the better for everybody. What I mean, obviously, you've you've talked about you you started down south with the bigger vans, and at some point you've made the transition up to the Lake District. So, what area do you generally cover um, in a on a day to day run? Well, the, the the areas changed as the technology of the electric vehicles um, has developed. Obviously, when I started, the the Peugeot partner. Um, on a good day would do 80, maybe 85 miles, and that would be to empty. Um, during the winter, you're, you're talking 55, 60 miles. So the area I could cover was was literally the Lake District and one charge, say. 
Mm -hmm. So, so quite limiting, but big enough. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a two hour journey from Carlisle to Barrow. So, you know, enough to keep you busy. But now, um, in my latest van, I cover from sort of Glasgow, Edinburgh, draw a line across, come right down the country to Manchester, Warrington and Leeds, draw a line across. Um, so basically the north of England, the south of Scotland is what I cover now. So that, that shows you how far technology has come in a little under five years. Which brings us very nicely onto what you're actually running now. Now, you said you started with the EMV 200. What sort of um, range were you getting on that, did you say? I started with the Peugeot Partner. I had that for about eight months. And that, as I say, was sort of on a good day in the summer, 80. Mm -hmm. um, in, in the winter, 55 to 60. The EMV um, was a slight step up. It was still only a 22 kilowatt hour. But that would, that would push 90, 95 on a good day and 65, 70 in the winter. Mm -hmm. My current um, ED3 from Maxus, uh, in the depths of winter, because uh, I picked it up just before Christmas, end of end of November, beginning of December. So I've only had, ever had it depths of winter. I've been getting a solid 140 miles, maybe 130 with the heater on all day. So I, I can't comment on the summer range as yet because we haven't quite got there. But it's it's already gone up maybe six miles in this slightly milder temperatures of maybe 10 to 15 degrees. So um, I've, I've got... Uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping for good things in the summer from it. Well, indeed, fingers crossed. Does the does the loading of the van have an adverse effect on range? If you've got lots in the back, will it cut down your range dramatically? In my experience, it does, but to no significance. What I can I can give you some real life examples. I I, I did a trip where I um, I left Cumbria, went to Newcastle, empty, and then came back exactly the same route, fully loaded with six hundred. Um, 80 kilos of paving slabs in mm -hmm. the wind I think it was just a it was quite a calm day so I don't know whether the wind would have played any part and I can't to be honest with you remember which direction it was blowing in um, but I think that took 12 miles off the range and uh, now obviously when you've only got 60 70 miles range that's quite a lot but when you've got knocking on 150 it, it, it doesn't really matter there, there is an official well not official but there is a figure that is bandied around the, the higher companies and the least companies. And I think it's eight miles per hundred kilo, or it might be six miles per hundred kilo loaded. But I would say that's a bit pessimistic in, in my line of work. Uh, it, it tends to be um, that once you're up to speed, if, you, if you're doing motorway miles loaded, once you're up to speed, it makes no difference. If, if you're urban, then it, it, it tends to make more because you're accelerating more, which means you've got to pull that weight yeah. up to speed more. But then yeah. you could argue you're you're slowing down and using the extra weight to push you along to get more regen. It, it's it's all about physics, isn't it? And I'm no, I'm no physics or math, maths expert. So, are you at that stage now where you're conscious of the range and what you've got left, and you're eking out distance, freewheeling, or doing the regen, or do you just drive it as if it's a diesel? That that's been the absolute revelation of of this latest van. Um, you know, I've never had, even the Zoe um, is only a 22 kilowatt hour. It's a first generation 2015. Um, so I've never had um, a long range. And I, I know there are people out there that would think 150 miles to, to whatever I'm going to be getting out of it in the summer. That isn't even long range. But to me, I've never had that sort of range. So, yeah, that's the revelation of this new vehicle is, is I just drive it. 
I mean, yesterday I, I, I got, it was the first time that I'd seen the battery light on um, and I got home with 6% and eight miles. But I think, um, I think that eight miles was a bit pessimistic. But again, I wasn't, I wasn't really that bothered because I knew that if it said I'd got eight miles, I had got eight miles. But yeah, the, the, both, both the, the Peugeot and both the EMV, I was very mindful of where my next charger was going to be and the routes that I was conducting. Now it's brilliant. I just drive it. I do nothing other than stop to charge, um, which is a good thing because I used to, you know, run for hours without a bike, which is never not big and not clever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just I just drive it. It's it's fantastic. I just drive it. And and again, even in the winter, um, I can only comment because I've had it in the winter. The heater's on all day, and and it, you just use it and you just drive it as if it was a diesel. There's there's no difference at all. It's brilliant. Now, what was the thinking behind going up to the, the Maxis? Because there's quite a few different ones on the market. Uh, what, what made you decide to go for that one? The, the fact that it comes with um, a high roof conversion. Um, there, there's nothing on the market that can touch it. There, there, there's the larger vans that have the same height, but they're twice as expensive and prohibitive to, to anybody but the large um, lease fleets at the moment. Uh, that that was the deal breaker. I was I was um, you know I was teetering on the edge. Should I get the the Stellantis, one of the variations? Um, should I get the Maxus? And, and you know I really was sat on the wall. I tested them both, had them both. Um, I was lucky enough to get the Maxus for a week. The um, I, I couldn't get a hold of a uh, Vauxhall because um, there weren't any available. Um, so I ended up with the uh, Citroen variant. Had that for a couple of days, uh, and there wasn't a lot in it. And then Maxus contacted me and said, "Oh, look, we've got uh, we've got this, and they're doing a high roof conversion now." Um, and, and because of the furniture and everything that I I transport, that was the the, the absolute deal breaker. Yeah. It was as simple as that. There was, there's no competition out there. It's either Maxus ED3 with the high roof, um, or the Stellantis group in in the mid van section. Do you buy lease PCP? This is the first van that I, in 20 years that I haven't bought because um, they are still so expensive that uh, no, I've just got it on a on a PCP lease like uh, everybody else in the world. Um, the, these things are still far too expensive for the uh, butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker to afford. It's okay if you're fleet leasing and and the rest of it, but for people like myself, self-employed, not that registered, um, your your electrician, your plumber, your your builder. And people that do what I do, um, they're just so ridiculously expensive that that you have to um, you have to PCP them and you have to have a a big deposit to to get those payments down. Now I I know that from the sixth of April twenty twenty, businesses were able to claim one hundred percent of the cost of an electric vehicle against the profits on the year of the purchase. Now with the Maxus, that's thirty. What are they? About thirty thousand new plus VAT. That's quite an incentive. Would that not have um, sort of played into the calculation of purchase versus lease or PCP? I, th- I think to to SMEs, small and medium enterprises, then yeah, that's that's going to be uh, that's going to be something to consider. Uh, the, the biggest, I don't know. It's 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 a tricky situation um, as far as the cost of, of, of vans is concerned because um, diesel vans aren't cheap either mm. <laughs> i mean I've, I've, i i it was only when i started looking into um the price of the diesel equivalents that you think well wow that's that's expensive just for a diesel van um 
you know, if you want um, a nicely kitted out OEM manufacturer, I won't mention one because, you know, there are so many that, that provide diesel vans, but but even a nicely kitted out medium to large size van, you, you, you're looking at 35,000 plus. So so they're, they're not cheap either. You've got the total cost of ownership as well. You're, you're, at the moment, you're not paying any um, road fund license. You're, you're not paying... Um, the cost for fuel that you would be, you haven't got the maintenance costs. I mean, the EMV, um, over the course of the time I had it, um, it had its annual MOT and nothing ever showed up. And uh, I had the pollen filter changed a few times and I changed the um, reduction gear oil once. And, and that's it. Tires and wipers is pretty much all I spent on it. You know, mm. they're, they're, they are so ridiculously reliable. The market itself for electric vans are... Are the models out? I mean, obviously you've you've had a couple. You've chosen to go for the uh, Max CD3. Fair enough. Are there models out there that are worth getting, or are many of them sort of a lame attempt by ICE manufacturers to try and get some part of the market? I mean, I think I'm right in thinking the Mercedes Evito. It does 92 miles on a charge, which isn't great, especially for a 41,000. Pound car You've been reading then... my tweets. You're poking the bear here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to get my soapbox out in a minute. No, it, that I'm, I'm going to be. Um, I'm, 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 I'm not going to be. Um, I'm not going to sit on the fence. But I will say that that was the case as little as three years ago. There were a lot of manufacturers who were bringing out so-called last-mile delivery electric vans. Oh, because this is the segment that really wants them. There were loads of vans or any, any, especially the large vans, any large van that came out would have a, a sub 100 mile range um, on a good day, you know, and, and that was getting ridiculous. Um, I, I don't know why they've now, now changed, but in the last year to 18 months, um, everything that's been coming out has had a 150 plus mile range um, and the, the new Evito They've bowed to well, whether they've bowed to to pressure or whether they it was always the way. What what really got my back up with that is when they released the Evito model originally, the passenger variant, um, albeit eighty four thousand pound or something stupid, had because uh, it was a luxury airport transport vehicle. You know, one of these um, it, it was the minibus or people carrier version. That had something ridiculous like an 88 kilowatt hour battery and had almost a 200 mile range. Yet the mm-hmm. van version, exactly the same platform, only had like a 33 or 35 kilowatt hour battery and could do like 92 miles or something. You know, why not stick that battery in that van? Thank you very much. They came up with all sorts of excuses about payload, blah, blah, blah. But just recently they've announced that you can now buy the Evito with a massive battery pack. Um, now, whether they've done that because the Stellantis group have gone for the large, they, they give you the option of the smaller or large battery pack. Um, you know, that, that that's not the case now, but certainly it was. There, anything that came out was, you'd think, well, that's just to get your emission targets down, my friend. That's not actually a, a proper attempt at an electric van. Because I don't think you'll ever see the, the 400 mile range van. I think they're going to cap at about 200, maybe 220. Um, purely because of the, the, the general usage of commercial vehicles in this country. I, I don't think you're going to see any mega mile vans because it's just not how it happens. Um, what, I, what I think you'll see um, and what I'd like to see is I'd like to see manufacturers offer you a van of a particular size 
and then say, right, what battery pack do you want in it? Because we, we've, we've, it used to be the case you'd buy um, a Ford Transit and a Ford Transit was a Ford Transit. You could have like hundreds, literally hundreds of variations sat on the back of it. But the Transit itself was the Transit, same fuel tank, same engine. Now, I think we've got to a stage where businesses will be buying vans for the purpose that the van does, as opposed to just buying a one van fits all use cases. And we'll see vans with you know, maybe even extremely small light vans for certain cases up to the, the bigger long distance vans. You, you, it's no point in buying a massive battery pack if you don't need it in the van world. I mean, it's, it's a different case um, in the car world. Um, because Joe Public doesn't want the hassle and doesn't know when they're going to use their vehicle for a long journey or not. Mm -hmm. But in the commercial world, if your van does a continual route day in, day out, it's only ever going to need that sort of mileage. Indeed. Um, and that then sort of brings me on to the flip side of all that, which is if you're doing all this, if you've got a van that has a limited range, then at some point you're going to have to stop and do some public charging. So what in your opinion, is the state of public charging at the moment? Is it a concern for you? I mean, I know you're in an area in the Lake District that's not overflowing with rapids, although having said that, most of the ones that are there are multi-unit intervals, which is good. So what's your experience in terms of public charging? I could go right back to the beginning um, and say to you that <laughs> to say that I was pushing the envelopes an understatement. When I first got my electric van, there were six rapid chargers in the whole of Cumbria, <laughs> off of which I had to run my business. All of them were government installs run by the uh, government. They were Genie Point installs, mm -hmm. for which I thank them, because without them, I couldn't have even contemplated doing, doing the job. So that's how it started. There's now well over 30, maybe even over 40 rapids now um, in the whole of Cumbria. Now, that may sound like a lot, but Cumbria, if you look at it, it's a very big county. And like you say, a lot of those are the multi-installs at the Booth supermarkets, which again, mm -hmm. I thank them very much for because it made my life so much easier. Um, but now I go a lot further afield. My issue at the moment is charger anxiety, not range anxiety, charger anxiety, because anything less than about four just isn't enough anymore, which even when I'm out of county, I will still go for the Booth's installs because they tend to have four yep. or any um, multiple Osprey grid serve um, e even even two chargers now um, I turn up uh, if it's during the day there's going to be somebody on one of them at least you know it, it's it's got to that stage now I think what's happened is the with the pandemic and everything else and the cost of energy fuel both um, it's really pushed the the sale of electric vehicles as a whole right up and above um, over and above what 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 the the, the um, think tanks or whoever they are came up with. I think we're meant to be somewhere at around six to seven percent sales at the moment, and I think last month it was something like fourteen or bonkers. Mm -hmm. So you know, the, 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 all the you can't play, you can't really blame the charge installers because all they were going off of was the figures that they'd been given by these think tanks. Um, so they were rolling them out as fast as they could, but it needs more. I mean, I think it will always need more. But um, yeah, my, my problem at the moment is charger anxiety, not range anxiety, because it, it's very busy out there. I don't I don't charge at lunch times. Um, I have to have um, even earlier or late lunch because everywhere's busy. I avoid the motorway networks because there's only two chargers 
um, at every uh, service area, although that is changing. Thanks again to GridServe. Um, they're doing a magnificent job in, in just churning these things out as quick as they can. But again, it's not really their problem. It's, it's grid supply and planning permission and all the rest of it. Um, you know, there needs to be something done about red tape and, uh, you know, the length of time that these things take. take rather. Um, so the state of the charging network at the moment is good, better than it was, but can be a lot better. What percentage of charging stops are an issue for you, i.e. charges not working or you having to work, uh, wait for a free one? Very few. Very few. I've, I rarely come across a not working charger, but then that's maybe because I avoid those networks or that network that tends to have um, a, a very bad reputation with yeah. working chargers. Um, I, I, I use um, Instavolt, Osprey and GridServe. That's pretty much the, the three that I use, and we have those three, I don't think I've ever come across a non-working charger. I think I've come across switched off, like completely dead chargers on all three networks, possibly. Um, and I, so I don't know what the issues would have been there, whether that was literally a power cut or whether there was a major issue or they hadn't been commissioned yet. I think if you're if you're not as clued up as myself or others and you just look on ZapMap or whatever, find your local nearest charger and go to it, um, I can. I, I, maybe your, your chances of finding a a duff charger um, increase, but again, um, I, I don't. I don't. I never go to single installs unless maybe I'm passing. You know, because yeah. again, I, I I don't have to as much look for chargers. I I know where I'm going, what my route is, and where I'm passing. And, and with the range that I've got now, I'll, I'll just charge at a convenient time for me. That's something that's changed. I now charge at a convenient time for me. I don't have to charge when the van needs to charge because I'm going somewhere. I, I, I stop and charge when I want to. Yeah, now I, I, I can't really comment on, on, on broken down or duff chargers. Uh, as far as busy chargers go, uh, yeah, when I wasn't when, when I wasn't um, as clued up as I am now on how busy it is out there over the last few months, I would often just turn up at twin installs anywhere uh, and just be on my way because there, there would be cars waiting i mean i've seen queues of up to four on the um, uh, motorway networks you know where you, where you turn up there's two charging and there's like three or four waiting and mm. i'm just thinking to myself well these guys must be like desperate you know they must really need a charge because that's like almost a two hour two and a half hour wait just before you get on the charge which really isn't good enough i assume that you're connected in with uh, sort of industry bodies in the uh in the area that the, that you work in terms of last mile delivery and that sort of stuff. What's the general feeling about the uptake of electric vehicles for last mile delivery, do you think? Uh, from what I've heard and from, from what I've seen, I would say that the, the, the big boys, the, the DPDs and the Amazons and that, they've, they know what they're doing. They've looked at the figures and the fuel savings and the running costs, um, and, and they're going for it big time. Um, I know that the, the DPD... Uh, depot in Carlisle uh, has got a raft of electric vans now and I see them delivering down where I am on the west coast so I know they're being used as far out as here mm -hmm. and I see a lot of them when I'm out and about especially in the likes of Preston and Leeds um, and around the Manchester area so um, I think uh, they're, they're, they're taking it up in a big style which is, which is good because if other people see them out there these guys using them 
that can only be a good thing because they're thinking, well, if they're doing it, then there must be something in this. Uh, and hopefully it'll, it'll spark their interest. What I think is is uh, a major problem for, or not necessarily a problem, but uh, something that needs to be solved for the, the, the large fleets is the on-site charging, you know, because they're going to need some serious power and mm-hmm. they're going to need a lot of technology for the load balancing, et cetera, to, to, to have 50, 60, 70 vans on some sort of rotation or even all plugged in together. Um, but again, uh, there, there are solutions for that coming online. And, you know, I know of installs up in Scotland where they have the capacity to charge like 60 vans, um, a depot and that. And it's it's great to see and the technology that's being developed to enable that is 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 brilliant and truly fascinating. Um, and then a lot of these guys have got massive warehouses. They're just slapping immense amounts of solar, solar onto the roofs to either feed the factories and to uh, charge their vans if they're going to be at the hub during the day because i would imagine they're going to run these things in shifts there's a little old me with one van this this the, the, the logistics these guys have got to figure out is mind-boggling to me but they have the people in-house that are doing it and it seems to be happening so yeah there's got to be something in it if these guys uh, i mean the likes of um dpd and amazon uh, they're, they're ordering hundreds if not thousands of these things you know, which is, you know, just some serious commitment. And then you've also got the likes of British Gas and that, that, that are also ordering thousands of these things. So they're not going to be doing this on a whim. They've, they've, they've done the sums. They've done the trials. Um, and it's brilliant. It's especially the gas, you know, the, the gas guys. They're the guys that are driving around in the towns and the cities all day as well. You know, this, this is what we want to see. Are there any downsides to having an electric van in your industry? For me personally, no. I can't think of a single downside apart from the... Um, cost the initial cost um I, i'm i'm pro electric so um to, to come up with a downside um is, is very difficult because they just make so much sense to me i'm sure there must be some probably for the big boys um it's it's a weight thing because like uh, you know the, the the batteries there's no getting away from it the batteries do take your payload down but um you know things are being done about that there's a new class of van a 4.25 ton van um, which can be driven on a normal car license now. They finally sorted that that out. And uh, the the ED3, my van is is made of super light materials. It's an alloy subframes and it's plastic panels glued onto it. Um, so the van initially is lighter to start with. So when you add the battery pack, you can still have a decent payload. Let me ask you my final question, King for a day. What would you do or change if you were King for a day that would improve or speed up? electric van rollout i would probably scrap or greatly reduce to like about five percent the vat on a commercial vehicle for small businesses and self-employed that aren't VAT registered because when you're when you're up in the 30 40 thousands that is a lot of money to 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 pay on top um, either in one lump sum or or over the course of many years so as an instant leveler because obviously the big corporations that are VAT registered they don't they you know they they claim it back um, so as an instant leveller to get more smaller individuals and smaller companies um, to be able to afford the vans, I would, I would probably either scrap the VAT or reduce it to uh, something more affordable. What about the VAT on charging? Uh, yeah, the VAT on charging, definitely. But I think, I mean, that, that, that's, that should be done regardless of whether I'm king for a day or not. <laughs> <laughs> that's really bad for those that can't charge at home. Um, that, that's just wrong. You know, that, that needs to be changed and, and something needs to be done about that we should all be paying the same to to build the build the cars up i think yeah 
indeed. Simon, thank you very, very much for your time. Much appreciated. And uh, I think it's been a useful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been fantastic. My thanks to Simon for his time. I thought his comment about starting with electric vans as a profit exercise, but then moving across to a social good exercise was very interesting. Once people realise how much nicer they are to drive, cheaper to run and better for the environment, it's amazing how people's attitudes towards them change. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Regular listeners will be aware that I have an ID3 on order. I was interested to learn that Volkswagen have attempted to make the manufacture of the ID3 as carbon neutral as possible. They've done this through implementing three main principles. First, reduce carbon dioxide effectively and sustainably. Second, convert the energy supply to renewables. And third, compensate for unavoidable emissions. There are many challenges in doing this, not least the fact that the batteries themselves have quite a high carbon content. But by using renewable energy, as well as ensuring that suppliers commit to renewable energy, alongside carbon offsets and carefully sourced material, they've managed to reduce the carbon footprint to a fraction of what it was when they were producing internal combustion engine vehicles. Unfortunately, they still have to resort to carbon credits, i.e. using a carbon-free source somewhere else on the face of the planet to offset the carbon that they've emitted. But overall, the trend in this particular manufacturing site is heading downwards, which is a good thing. Check out the article linked in the show notes for more detail. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drives in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. That's where I tend to spend most of my time. If you want to support the podcast and the newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Uh, don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? Well, if you enjoyed this particular episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings and you can do just that ko-fi.com slash evmusics and it takes Apple Pay too. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called Share. <laughs> oh, gone electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. And if you did enjoy this, then why not subscribe uh, it's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you so much. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingsEV with the words, last mile, the best mile. Hashtag if you know, you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know, many's the time when he's come to me and complained about the driving of other people on the road, swerving around him, almost knocking him off his unicycle, but no more, he said. No more. He's looking at a brand new vehicle where all the panels have been replaced by completely see-through perspex. It totally removes the driver's blind spots while driving, allowing him to see everything around him. So, yeah, that's the revelation of this new vehicle is, is I just drive it. Many thanks for listening. Bye-bye.